I try to keep a very open mind to, you know, personal self-care approaches or whatever that may not be very popular. But if I try it and it's helping, then like that is enough evidence to me. And um, I guess at that point, I think it's it's one of those tricky things where it's like, well, now does that qualify you to teach it to other people? Uh, maybe not, that, yeah, you know? That's a whole other thing. You know, <laughs> I there, love that one too, though. There are some situations where advice does kind of apply universally. And like, I try to be conscious of those things. And if something has worked for me, I, I would kind of want to research if it kind of works in general or if it's, it's just a fluke, you know? Because mm. otherwise, mm. you just kind of start advising people as if they're yourself instead of, you know, how you would advise anyone you know yeah we covered this on the four agreements one right a little bit just the idea that like how you portray the information really matters as much as what you try to uh convey like when especially when it comes to self-help or spiritual or anything that has to do with kind of that self-discovery having a pretty good estimation of how universal it is versus how universal you want it to be or feel yeah is important and sometimes like erring on the side of anecdotes is important almost as just an implicit disclaimer the entire time that yeah and what's interesting too is that people there are some people who have a harder time absorbing that information in universalities i'm one of them <laughs> <laughs> no i mean we talked about that a bunch too like i've always struggled with that i get yeah. very critical when i see things portrayed that way and it's just something that is in the way that i look at the world but yeah it's it's tricky but like I'm someone who gains a lot of edification and a lot of insight out of metaphor. Mm. And I think that that's like as close to a artful use of universal language as we can get, it, at least in terms of prose writing and poetry and parable narrative stuff, you know? So yeah, I get a lot out of that. Mm. And I guess I get less out of, like, as much as I give experiential testimonies that are, like, specific to my life and my feelings and my struggles and my accomplishments and whatever, I prefer metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> There's fun freedom to But that. I don't tend to, like, speak in parable, you know? I'm actually, I'm pretty bad at coming up with them. <laughs> but there are people who don't really enjoy metaphor that much. There are people who really, like... Not necessarily scoff, but just like find too much of, I, my, I shouldn't say too much, but like value their own connection with their own experiences to the extent that hearing a different experience doesn't equate to what they're going through. And I mm -hmm. think that's like, that can be a lack of imagination in some cases. Or like that the purpose of parable, the purpose of metaphor, the purpose of myth is that we can tie a broader story back to the specifics of the human experience. Mm. Personally, I think that that is the blessing of art and the whole purpose of using metaphor in art is to make the consumers of art aware that they're not alone. Yeah. You know, so for me, sometimes I wonder, well, what do the people who aren't as receptive to that universal language do they want to be alone? Like, the, do they want, and that's not how it sounds, but like, do they want their experiences to be more significant, so significant, in fact, that universal 
language, a, a universal example or an example that tries to be universal. That's a good. Doesn't thing. touch their experience. Yeah. yeah. I were I wonder about that sometimes. I like that. I almost think about that with like, um, for instance, like someone who would be, who would particularly enjoy experimental music or like the thing they like about music is like the weirder, the better. Mm. I still feel like that sort of art is like, it's a way of feeling seen, but without feeling like it has to be your way. It's like, it's, it's a universality of non-universality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, I relate to this because I don't relate. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Well, maybe it's that the human ex- the human experience exists as much at the nexus of mind and body as it does the nexus of the body and the world. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it's that you have this irreconcilable difference between how you feel and how you're supposed to feel or, you know, how you feel. And basically, you can't make all your pain mean something. You can't make whatever boredom or whatever sense of wandering you have means something and so there's that twofold thing where you like i don't know you you want to relate to those perpetual outsiders where you want to feel that it's cast you so far out that you like yeah it means something or fuck what was the last thing i had the last point right there motherfucker joel <laughs> help me out it was so close dude i just zoned out at the last second there was a cogent point when i started it Say those last few things again. Oh, they're gone. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. No, but I was just thinking about how, like, the, I don't know, the human experience, it's just as much internal as it is external, you know? Like, it's... Yeah. It's just as much about relating to the fellow man as it is to make sense of those conflicting forces inside you. Yeah. And sometimes those two things don't click together very nicely. Mm-hmm. So it leads people to want to dignify that experience with like some life on the fringe you know (laughs) yeah because it gives you that hero's journey well and then also there are so many like pairings of factors that can lead to the same experience yeah you know say there is something innate in you that you are born with okay well let's let's use like panic disorder and, and ptsd right one is something that is a predisposition to anxiety, panic, hypochondria, whatever. And then let's say that like you're you can be just as prone to anxiety and panic if it's the result of a previous, you know, stimulus that traumatized you. In that case, like what matters more? Is it your specific experience that you now experience a certain kind of trauma or a certain tendency to dissociate because of what has happened to you? And would someone else's experience with anxiety disorder or panic disorder be any less relevant to your experience if your symptoms are the same? So there are all all sorts of like pairings and permutations of different conditions and different experiences that may result in the same symptoms or the same reactions or the same behaviors or the same thought patterns. And would anybody else's experience with that be any less significant to your life if, or your journey or your healing process, if what they have to say can help you. Like, just because they haven't had your experience specifically doesn't mean that their experience can't be a part of your healing process or a part of your processing of 
what is happening internally. So that's kind of where that all comes together for me is like a big epiphany that I had around the time that I was 29 or 30 was that I wasn't unique, you know, and just like looking at personality tests and looking at like, I, I hate to invoke astrology as if it's as valid as some people would like it to be, but, um, but looking at astrology as a methodology of assessing your personality type or a methodology of assessing your strengths and weaknesses or your, your tendencies as a human to chase certain experiences or to feel a sense of unfulfillment in some way, a lack of fulfillment in some way. Then like, once you look at all those things, you're like, I'm not unique. I fit within a pocket. I fit within mm -hmm. a set of codifiers and descriptors that millions of other people also fit within. And sure, your lived experience is unique to you. The conditions that you respond to and the conditions with which you respond to them are not unique to you. And that was a very insightful thing for me at that time because like I had spent years thinking that I was suffering. And then I realized that it sure it was suffering, but I realized that it didn't have to be that way. Mm. And I realized that like I was manifesting suffering by thinking that my personal needs and my lived experience and my felt experience were so unique to me that they couldn't be understood or mm. couldn't be like contextualized properly within the ethos that I was trapped in, you know? And that's not the case. You know, and I don't know if it was just a getting older thing or just like a, a sudden epiphany or or what, but for me that that's when I started getting really interested in the concept of metaphor. Mm. Because that allowed me to see like you know, I keep writing all these lyrics that no one's gonna fucking understand. <laughs> and what is the point of that? And there's value in that in a self expression way. But it almost becomes valueless if you're just trying to describe who you are but not trying to understand how other people might be the same mm. and, and you're not trying to seek solidarity. And I think that like the element of solidarity in art is a more valuable thing to chase than a conscious rumination of your own misgivings and resentments. <laughs> anyway, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's like a, there's like a connection thing that happens. I, I think of social connection a lot as like, like, I don't know how true it is when people say like, we're a social species, blah, blah, blah. But like to think the answer is to be completely alone when in reality, it's like the answer is to connect in some way. And uh, in terms of like, I don't know, feeling part of something spiritual or something like that. And I also feel like what you said about um, realizing you're not unique is something very relevant to the body mind thing as well, because I, I feel like it's important to remember, like, like we we're all the same species in our, like we are evolutionarily designed in a lot of similar ways. So there's things you can learn from that. You know, there's like, everyone's unique as well, but like, there's some sort of similarity to the point where like different people can learn the same physical exercises or the same 
technique in an athletic skill and stuff like that. And you Mm -hmm. can kind of trust that it will work. And that's something you can lean on to feel like if you feel alone and lost and sort of connecting to um, the essence of your being, there's a lot of like tried and true things through body mind connection where it's just kind of like it's been documented for centuries that people have done this and it's brought them some sort of success or happiness and that can be found through a process that you can learn almost like as a just a physical skill you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's where i think we start putting too much of a premium on the idea of uniqueness especially when we're we're young. I've had the same experience with it where at a certain point it's, I don't know, it's like the only thing worse than your pain is the idea that you might just kind of be broken as much as it's comforting in that emo way to go around saying like, I'm broken, I'm broken, there's a dagger in my fucking chest. Like mm-hmm. that serves its purpose, especially at certain points in your life. But mm-hmm. the only thing scarier than that is the notion that somebody might have just cosmically fucked up and this mm. is just how you came out. Because then it means nothing and it sucks. And that is (laughs) the worst. Why the hell would you want to live like that? So I completely get it. I lived like that forever. But it's like the older I've gotten too, I've realized like it, it's, we're putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong kinds of uniqueness, you know? Like we're looking at, we're walking into like a paint store and saying like, I don't see the same seven colors or whatever. And forgetting that we just have to go home and kind of make a picture. We can buy the same fucking paint as everyone else. We're going to go home and do something entirely different with it. But we but we get so fixated on like those base ingredients being different or our base human mm. experience being different that we alienate ourselves and isolate ourselves and stop learning, essentially. We get so freaked out every time there's a potential revelation because it might disprove our theory that we've been chosen. Yeah. That we never actually do anything of creative worth or we die young enough to get away with it. And it's like it's sad after a while, you know, it's like it, it hampers that, that curiosity and that excitement and you can still be in pain. That was a big revelation for me is like, <laughs> yeah. you can have that revelation and still have every moment of every day hurt like hell. Yeah. So <laughs> free at last. Well, and I want to be clear when I say we're not unique, um, our lived experience is certainly unique to us, mm. but I think the emotions manifested through that lived experience is what is not unique to us. Yeah. And we all, sometimes what, is hurt, what hurts the most is that we all have the responsibility to respond to our lived experience in a way that will kind of right the ship. And not everybody has an equal opportunity to respond to it in the healthiest of ways mm. or in the most proactive or productive of ways. So it definitely becomes, there's a lot of inequity to that. But... Yeah, I mean, we all have that responsibility, I think. Um, Like, I was telling Matt a few months back that I think this coming Thanksgiving, I'm going to do absolutely nothing because no matter what, I always get really bad anxiety on Thanksgiving and I don't know where it comes from. So I'm not going to sit back in that situation having felt that year after year and say, whatever, I'm not unique. I'm just going to go through the motions like everybody else does. Mm. I have made a decision to respond to that emotion or that feeling and figure out why. So I'm kind of taking the initiative to respond to that feeling and challenge it. So in that sense, I'm not forsaking my belief that I'm not unique, but I am assuming the responsibility that like 
this is a, an emotion that is probably common because Matt gets this too. So. <laughs> also, dude, I just realized in this moment that that is the most uh, pure way to honor the spirit of the first Thanksgiving, if you think about it. To abandon everyone? Because you're, you're sort of deciding you've had enough of this persecution that you've been putting up with for years and you're going to... Form oh, your own, yeah. Going to your yeah. own place and forming your own tradition. <laughs> I like so it. All the genocidal shit notwithstanding, that's actually <laughs> the best way to honor that holiday. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's also the recognition that like it might be unique to my lived experience, but it is not a unique manifestation of feeling and emotion. Mm. And being yeah. someone who believes that feeling an emotion when felt that way with that type of frequency should be confronted. That's how I'm going to confront it. Mm. At least start to confront it and hopefully confront it successfully. Mm. I'm sorry, Owen, we've been talking for a while. No. Go, go on. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I like, uh, to me that, that, that is a great example of like when something has not been working or I shouldn't say not working, but maybe just not what you want to do mm -hmm. for a long time to feel that agency to change it and just see what happens. Cause like worst comes to worst, you try that one year and then you just either find out either it's good or it's bad. And then you take that experience and use it to inform future experiences. But one of the, the things that's been very helpful for me with any sort of, mental development or finding my path in life has just been like, you know, if something works, keep doing it. If something doesn't work, keep changing stuff and see what happens. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes, especially if we hold on to beliefs told to us by other people that we can't change something mm -hmm. that can really lead to some ruts in whatever kind of different way, you know, whether it's making a pre-existing sort of challenge worse or just creating a challenge that didn't even need to be there in the first place. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm a big fan of questioning things and keeping that open mind to just like be willing to just, yeah, just try try mixing it up and like questioning habits that we've been used to for a while if they're just kind of not quite sitting right. And then um, I feel like I, I approach life with a lot of, I'll try something one way, and then I'll kind of try it the opposite way just to see, mm. like, what's the difference. And then yeah. you kind of learn this, like, moderation in all different areas of life. And um, I think that's also something that can be validating to people who might not understand why they may go, go through certain phases of, you know, indulgence or just, like, a, a few years in their life that were just really extremely, like, an extreme struggle or even like years of life that might have felt like a self-sabotage of some sort to kind of zoom out and realize that somehow or another you were compelled to explore some sort of uh, contrast mm. that informs the future direction of your life and to not really feel like that has to be fixed, you know? Because th that's one thing I learned in terms of like undoing some of the potentially toxic aspects of self-help is like this expectation that like you have to always be killing it and that yeah. like if you're not killing it that that's not productive but i think especially when you hear from experiences of people who have had moments in their life where they were 
temporarily for however many years not productive or not functional or or even just unhappy like i don't even want to use those terms because it's again treating it as if it's like a problem to fix but it could just be like maybe it just wasn't how you personally wanted to live sometimes people who have gone through that just come out the other side with a greater understanding of contrast of like that's what it used to be and now i've like learning the hard way can almost be like the the better way to learn sometimes but there's also a caveat of that that i've also been taught is like don't use that as an excuse to just like purposely self-sabotage to see what happens you know because <laughs> like that can yeah. you can get it yeah. into your head of like and the i think that that kind of lines up with the the whole like like people like sort of subconsciously emulating the starving artist archetype or like I should say the tortured artist archetype where it's like, oh, like this, this artist who makes great music, they, they got their inspiration from their suffering yeah, (laughs) and like feeling like that has to be a part of your life. But it's like one of those things, like life is just going to do it to you. Like whether, like if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen, but don't, don't try (laughs) to Mm. do it to like get the, you know, experience out of it. But like, you'll, you'll just know, whether you're meant to be in that phase or whether it's something that is worth kind of taking initiative and being a proactive and like searching for a better way. And there's also just timing. Like sometimes there's a change you want to make within yourself, but maybe it's just not the time yet. And I think that that comes down to a lot of spiritual kind of trust of like just the timing of things is just kind of naturally going to work itself out in the long run. If you see it that way, I guess. When going off the starving artist and, and tortured artist thing that you said, like that's one of my favorite misnomers about stuff like this because it sort of carries with it the implication that that artist is weak, you know, that like mm. that there's that sense that their art bypassed them and went from pain to world and it, it just sort of existed. And I, I don't like that sometimes because it's like, I think at the end of the day, especially if you're an artist, you work with what you've got. So if you were born into, for instance, my brother just played me um, a band by Bono's son, who by no means has suffered the same hardship as like <laughs> Howlin' Wolf, but good fucking band. Like uh-huh. that dude's earning it. He's out there and, and he's doing it for real and he's doing it his own way and that's cool. And he is the son of Bono. And I think it would be criminal if he went out and decided he needed to sound exactly like Kurt Cobain in order to be a rock <laughs> yeah, god because, yeah, or to live exactly yeah. like Kurt Cobain rather because that would be so wrong on so many levels because by that same token it's like I hate the notion that because a guy like Kurt Cobain wore his pain the way that he did or same with a guy like Elliot Smith wore his pain like he did there tends to be that sort of implication that they're weak or that we got to see them as their pain was subsuming them and it's like these guys were strong as shit like anyone who's in that position and can get up and put out another record or fight as long as they possibly can. That is a strength, you know? Right. And those mm. people are working with they've with what they have just as much as any of us are obligated to work with what we have. I mean, naturally we'll all go through phases or, or huge chunks of our lives where we'll sort of feel like we have to put on a mask, but that's kind of its own thing, you know? Like that's you gotta learn somehow. Like you've gotta learn the ropes and like part of learning the ropes is learning like these are the people who have done it and you you copy and and mimic and then 
eventually progress back to a place where you're you realize kind of what you're left with. Mm. Yeah. But I think that applies to so many things. And art is such a poignant way of of getting to the real crux of it because you get to see different sides of a human being and you get to see somebody really putting themselves on the line more than maybe if they were like, you know, if Elliot was like managing a hedge fund or something, we might not have these <laughs> insights. But but it's true, I think, of any industry, of any person, of any form of expression or connection. You know, we've all we have is what we have. Yeah. Better or worse. And to go back to dissociation for a moment, I think that might be one of the best ways to avoid that habit is to actually engage with the pain that way. Mm. And it's a little bit of a different process to engage with the body in a way that assures you that it's not falling apart. Mm. But if you're also, you know, actually that's an interesting thought because to avoid hypochondria, it may just be a matter of getting more exercise. <laughs> I don't know. Or, you know, to avoid completely falling apart. And honestly, obviously in the tortured artist analogy, this doesn't really work because a lot of them do completely fall apart. But mm. but to avoid completely letting your pain subsume you, do you engage with it and then manifest it as art? Yeah. You know, when pain can manifest as beauty when suffering can manifest as grace, as Ramdas said, mm. um, then does that allow you to cope with it better? Does that allow you to engage with it and to live that truth honestly mm. um, and to put that honesty into art, I think is one of the best ways to cope with that pain. Oh, I want but to I, add real quick too, just, that just yeah. reminded me of just when the pain subsumes you, that is not weakness then either. Like that's not any less honest or any less vital or any less true mm. just because it finally took you down. You know, that's all. I think that's the other half of that, that sort of when you try to posit that guys like that were, were strong or that getting up and putting out art is a, a feat of strength, there could still come a day when it kicks your ass. There will come a lot of smaller days when it'll kick your ass and that's totally fine. May I be so bold as to quote Goethe? <laughs> You may. <laughs> Human nature has its limits. It can endure a certain degree of joy, pain, and sorrow, but becomes annihilated once that limit is exceeded. It's going on my grave, dude. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was trying to say.